Hello everybody, welcome to uh, the first episode of 2020 for MGR Unplugged. Um, today is actually New Year's Day, so uh, for those of you listening to us, you know, after New Year's, Happy New Year to everybody. And um, I'm here with David again uh, to celebrate the New Year. Hello everybody. And today I think um, we're just going to have a quick episode. We were actually talking the other day about uh, different marketing channels and just kind of planning our own strategy and... Uh, we kind of started very uh, randomly talking about channels that are what we call overrated or underrated when it comes to uh, marketing in general. Not so much digital marketing, but just doing marketing. And and if we were to put our own marketing dollars into different um, options, which ones we think would be better um, moving forward to 2020 and beyond versus the ones that traditionally worked better back in the days, you know, uh, in the early 2000s. So. I think um, I think we'll go through that um, right now, and um, would you like to start with uh, any particular channel? Or you want me to start listing them for you? Nah, let's just go through the list. We made a little list beforehand. All right, we, so we didn't add everything. I don't want to make this. No, a no, no. It's going to be very casual. But one of the things, uh, one of the channels that actually I'm very impressed about myself, as far as how much it has survived all the technology changes and internet changes over the last uh, basically 20 years since the uh, internet became more more popular is actually email marketing. It's amazing that email marketing started being very basic as far as just text emails and all that. And then um, after that, it, it kind of went through a little bit of uh, a downturn where people say, oh, email marketing is dead. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember a few years ago people were saying, oh, it's, it's dead, email's dead, no one do, does email marketing anymore. Does right, uh, people started getting very annoyed with so many emails and uh, unsolicited emails and all that stuff. And then it kind of cleaned up itself and people actually started to be able to opt in or out of emails in a very easy way with a new, uh, well, it wasn't new, but the Congress enacted the, uh, what's called the can spam law, and uh, which basically made email marketers and email marketing systems use a specific method to allow people to one click and subscribe and all these other things. Of course, we still get a lot of spam and sometimes it's uncontrollable because it comes from you know foreign countries and all that but uh, as far as the legit email marketing from companies that are actually letting their consumers or prospective consumers um, know about upcoming events news some products and things like that i think it's working very well and uh, it has survived um it has adapted and survived different stages well, of, uh, of the internet there's two parts to email marketing um because we're doing the overrated underrated and i wanted to talk about direct selling which is the one that I think you know everybody gets spammed with, which is constant offers and 20% off this, Black Friday, that. And then there's the more, uh, I, I called it like newsletter, but it, can, it doesn't have to necessarily be a newsletter, but kind of basically the non-selling marketing emails. I think the direct selling marketing emails are at this point kind of overrated because especially... Uh, because every website these days asks for your email and you get and you put in your email and uh, I think a lot of people now including myself have like a second email they use just Everyone. for all that crap right. and uh, you know <clears throat> I go to to that account and it's like especially on big like holiday time oh my god I mean I was getting 30 to 50 emails a day of just offers and stuff and that doesn't mean that you can never do that but like I mean there were companies that 
we're sending four or five emails a day and it's like leave me alone okay don't send me yeah yeah some that people, many some emails. people just overdo it and even even when you go to unsubscribe they even have an option saying um like uh would you like to receive fewer emails or only emails with yeah. offers or only emails with information so they give you a few options as far as what kind of emails you want to get the worst is the ones who sign you up for like five different email lists <clears throat> from the same company and when you unsubscribe yeah. you're so subscribed to the other ones right. and i have to unsubscribe like that should be totally illegal i hate that so much yeah that's like a little loophole in the rules that they say okay you unsubscribe to the from this one but not from the other ones and you still have you get another one and it's like wait a minute didn't they ask I just unsubscribe from this, and then yeah. they 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 send you another one. They say, "Oh no, you unsubscribe from the uh, offers, but not from the uh, deals or whatever." So, <clears throat> but for direct selling, I think it's a little overrated now because I think just sending an off, I would just be much more limited. This is this is when it gets into like more tactical of how you set up your email flows. Like you can send it to people who, if someone has maybe gone to your site and abandoned cart, then maybe sending them one or two emails with an offer is a good tactic. But just sending everybody on your list a dozen offers in a row is not a good tactic anymore. Right, no, definitely definitely you need to select your audience. And uh, when, it, when it comes to e-commerce specifically, you know that segmenting your audience, which yeah. is what we do uh, for most of our clients, is, is the critical part, not only to get more ROI in the particular email effort, but also to get fewer unsubscribes because you mm -hmm. are selling people or sending emails to people that actually are interested in a particular product or service and not anything else. I'm following up with them in a, in a, in a good way. You know, So segmenting your email marketing to people that abandon the cart in a certain way, in a certain process, or read an article, but then didn't finish it, or things like that versus just sending Oh, we're gonna remind everybody about this, and everybody's gonna buy this, or everybody's gonna, you know, you, you cannot just basically do like one size fits all anymore. You need to start a little bit of a wide shotgun approach, and then start narrowing down to segment your email content and information to whichever group is interested in each particular product or yeah. service. So I think just the, like you said, the shotgun approach of just blasting out offers constantly is definitely overrated. I think that's the fastest way to get lots of people to unsubscribe. And right. not only that, uh, I think uh, there's this idea that I've seen people talk about where they call it like like uh, subconscious filtering. When you're like, right. it's no different than like when you're scrolling through social media, you subconsciously will scroll really pa fast past ads. Right. And it's the same thing when I open an email, my, my email and I see like, immediately if I see like a percentage sign in the subject line, mm -hmm. I just scroll past it. I don't right. even look at it. I just delete it right Not away. Not only that, I mean, you sometimes you don't even look at it. When you see right. the, the sender, you already have this negative right. connotation exactly. to the sender and say, okay, it's another offer that I'm tired of receiving and you just delete it. But that can be, that can work in your favor on the other side. Whereas if you're, on the newsletter side, again, I'm calling it newsletter, but it's anything that's not selling, that's just providing some type of value mm -hmm. through email. I think that's really underrated, even though a lot more people and companies are doing that now. I still think that the amount of newsletter emails I get versus the amount of selling emails I get is like 10 to one, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that balance should be much more. Uh, and that's going to be a theme of this podcast where I think direct selling uh, should be held only for the perfect circumstances and you should i'm i'm encouraging more and more of our clients to do less and less direct selling all the time mm. because you want to keep it for when it's the right moment the right occasion uh like like i said like okay if this person has gone to your site twice and then abandoned their cart 
then maybe it's the right time. But if they just signed up for your newsletter, don't just start spamming them with offers. That's like mm-hmm. the fastest way I unsubscribe from something right. is when I sign up for a newsletter and then I get offers all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, leave me alone. So direct, direct selling emails, I think overrated newsletters still underrated even though more people are doing them now i think it's still underrated and obviously the 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 critical factor when you do marketing uh via email marketing obviously is that you need to be able to track whatever happens with your email when you send it obviously to to people and um i can see the companies that i receive emails from who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong i sometimes get an email with an offer and I actually like the offer. I like to learn more about the offer. So I click on the learn more button or whatever. And it takes me to the website and I review the website and then I leave. And then I get another email a little bit later saying, hey, um, you left our website. Are you in- still interested in this product or this service? And I was like, okay, I mean, I'm not obviously because I left the website for a reason, but it's, it's good email marketing. It's the one that they track me and they say, okay, this person clicked on this link. They know it's me. I went to the website, I clicked on inter- you know, information about their service or something, and then they follow up with me directly about what I was looking into. Right. No, that definitely does work. So, so it does work. And, and, and I tell you that because it, has, it happened a few times li- lately with, uh, like we do a lot of Amazon uh, marketing and all that stuff. And obviously, before, for that reason, we get a lot of inbound emails from other Amazon marketing companies that want to team up with us. So sometimes I'm interested in the topic and I click and see, oh, let's see how these guys are tracking this or offering this service. And... Um, so it's an email that interests me because I'm, it's something that we do for a living. And then um, I click on to check other websites and their rates and what they offer and all that stuff. And then I get, I get another email a little more personalized saying, hey, I know that you or we know that you were through a website and you were interested in this. Uh, would you like more information or set up a call or something? And, and that's okay because sometimes I'm thinking, first of all, email marketing done right. And secondly, maybe I do want to follow up with these guys as opposed to me sending a form and then who knows when they reply to you or things like that. So that's yeah. that's marketing. S- selling in general and especially email marketing is just very context dependent. Mm-hmm. You have to know when to send the right email at the right time. And there's definitely an art to that. And the companies right. that do it right are very, very successful. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that I think a lot of companies don't spend enough time thinking about their email marketing and that's why it ends up being so spammy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the companies who really spend a lot of time thinking about it and planning it, I think do uh, do much better. Right, and that's why you see now that obviously when back in the days when email was new and, and, and you received an email, it was like the open rate was like almost 100%. Every email you received, you were opening just because you were curious. And, uh, and now the open rate, I mean, you get like a, what, 10%? Um, totally depends on what it is. On right. a newsletter, that's the other reason why newsletters are great. Like we send out newsletters and the, our e-commerce weekly newsletter um, gets, it depends obviously, but on average probably a 40 plus percent open rate right. versus like a marketing email. Yeah, I mean, if you get 10% on a marketing email, that's pretty right. good. And that's just the open rate. Then the click-through rate on links that you have through the email, that's even lower. But those are the numbers, basically. All right, without... Speaking of high open rates, what I think we are in the early days <clears throat> of is the messaging marketing, which is, I can I think, kind of the next evolution. I don't right. think that email marketing will go away and that will be replaced by messaging. But I've seen some people do interesting things with text message marketing that I think could really work. And we're still in the very early days of that. Right. And the thing with that, 
you know, a, a lot of the text messaging services work with Facebook Messenger. Well, there's two types. There's the Messenger, and then there's also just SMS, like texting, like I get it like to my phone number, right. basically. Right. I'm less bullish on the Messenger, like Facebook Messenger or those types of things, just because, especially last year, uh, you know, we've done messaging campaigns for clients, and Facebook actually changed the terms so that you can't uh, basically like everything people were just spamming the hell out of their their lists mm -hmm. and so now they added a lot of restrictions to it so it's not as effective anymore in my opinion they limited i think the amount you can send per day and the amount you can send that are like um linking out versus just a regular message um but on the text messaging side i think it's underrated um, because we're such early days. The thing that I've seen that's really interesting, one thing is I think, you know, people have been getting kind of marketing text messages for mm -hmm. a while, but I've seen text message newsletters. Now, obviously a text message, you can't write like a full newsletter like you do in an email, but little valuable snippets, a little like text from a company, it can be anything, obviously. Like but, in our case, if we did like a little marketing tip or something. But don't you think that when people get, I mean, you're talking iMessage or things like that? Like yeah, I mean, whatever text you okay, use, right, iMessage, right. So, so, So to me, when I get those, I get very few. And most of them are actually unsolicited yeah, obviously, political advertising things that you don't I don't want know how they're doing that. But I do get a few and they're pretty good. Yeah, but I, I mean, when I get a text message, on an iMessage on my iPhone, um, I'm expecting it to be a friend or somebody, somebody that I know. But that that's is, why the open rate is so high. Right. The open rate on text messages well, because is you like need to open it to see percent. most of the times, you know. But when I get something that is advertising, I like, why this guy's texting me? You know, like, right. like I'm well, almost annoyed. That, there's a key difference. I don't mean go out and buy a list of phone numbers and try to just text people. Right. No, it's just like emails. Like, don't buy a list of emails and then just spam them. That's the wrong approach. But getting people to give you their phone number for the specific purpose of, hey, we'll text you very sporadically. We're not going to spam you anything with just insights, tips, whatever. It totally depends on what you're doing. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, to me, that that is a little intrusive. Like, like uh, even when I obtain, for example, to like I'm expecting, um, I don't know, some kind of package or some kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, the most vendor, And then I tell them, yeah, text me when you think is shipping, delivering, all that stuff. Right. And then, yeah, I get that information, which I like. But then they keep sending me messages for new offers now. I was like, okay, I didn't expect to get messages for offers of new products. I just wanted to follow up when you were sort of shipping. So I would be alert and, and expect a package or whatever. But I don't need to know whether you have this on sale next month or whatever. I wanted to opt out of that stuff. Texting is something that is very new, I think. Even though it's not necessarily new, people have been doing it, but... It's definitely not been mass adopted by most companies in their mm -hmm. marketing strategy. Um, it's something that I want to play around with a little more this year. Right. But I do think it's going to be just like email is definitely an art. I think it'll be even more of an art because it is. Texting is very personal and you don't want to spam people and you want to make, I think it's just two things. You want to make it very clear what people can expect. Like, hey, we will text you once a week with an offer. And if they say that and they keep that, that's fine. You're not going to complain. Right. Uh, but at the same time, the thing that I'm more interested in is the uh, not just selling the text newsletter type thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. I've seen a few people do that. Like, hey, I'll text you uh, twice a week with two insights or something like that. And it's going to be just a little text and you take you 
30 seconds to read it. That could be interesting. Just like people like getting email newsletters yeah. that are valuable, I think a there's, text there's could a be key too, difference too. with text messages and the emails. The emails obviously are more uh, passive. You, they need to wait until you check your email to basically see your offer. Text message, a text message comes regardless of whether you check it or not. I mean, it just it's like an instant interruption to your day. Like you. The, the phone beeps or the phone vibrates or something in the middle of the day. You don't know if it's good, bad, or what it is. You know, or it's, so you cannot check it whether you don't want it or not. Like, like you see the message there. An email is a little more like, okay, I'm gonna send an email, and then I personally don't hardly ever check my emails on my phone. Um, if it's important, people will call me or text me. I've checked my emails on the computer when I get to work or whatever. So, anyways, to me, to me, it's a little more intrusive. But I understand there is another marketing channel. It's that, it's like I said, there's a line. Yeah. And you just have to play the line. And I, I think it's just all expectations. Like, don't trick people into saying, hey, right. give me your number and I'll text you once a week and then text them four times a week. Right. Right. That's the line, you yeah. know. And as long, again, they usually have, uh, uh, they put something like. Yeah, uh, you can always unsubscribe. Type, type, type stop, stop or whatever. Or that or right. whatever. Yeah. But it's something I think is very underutilized now and I think could be much better going into the future and much more common, I think. But we'll have to see. Now, let me ask you, in between email marketing and even text messaging that we're talking now, we have uh, direct mail, which is the, the way that I, Old most, of the, most of the marketing used to be done uh, back in the days. And uh, I actually don't know, like like if you asked me like maybe one, two years ago, I said direct mail is dead. Why send things in the yeah, mail Yeah, I would anymore? have said overrated a couple of years ago. Yeah. But now... I think it's appropriately rated. I don't think it's underrated or overrated. Right. I think it's appropriately it's rated. It's kind of making a slight comeback a little bit. It's funny because uh, things kind of grow and then they become overrated or right. useless or dated. And then somehow the marketing cycles, there's a saturation on one end, which brings desaturation of the other channel. And right. now direct mail, again, for the proper products, it starts to work again. Like... Even even when it's like a small catalog or something of, of products, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, I find myself, and I, I don't want to put myself as an example, but I, I used to say, okay, I don't want catalogs anymore, you know, just to browse through all the catalogs, even the Sears catalog was the old one, you know, the, the old style and all that stuff. But now you get like smaller catalogs with whatever things you like, whether it's sports apparel or tools or this or that or whatever, electronics and things like that. And I'm already used to going on the web and seeing everything. But sometimes there is like a little bit of uh, an attraction to see like a page catalog that you can look. Maybe there's less of a direct call to action. Like they say, I'll call this number or visit a website or something. But as far as engaging with the viewer, yeah. with the reader, as far as kind of making you fall in love with the product, sometimes that paper catalog or that direct mail piece sells you more as far as they making you be interested in the product and actually seeing something on a phone or on a computer, you know? I think the reason for that is that these days, digital marketing is so crowded. And especially if you're an e-commerce, direct-to-consumer type company, um, where everybody's running Facebook ads, everybody's doing email marketing, everybody's doing all the digital stuff, that if you go out of your traditional path and do a direct mail catalog or something like that, there's not a lot, there's more now, definitely, but there's not. There's still not a lot of e-commerce companies sending direct mail catalogs. So when you are the one who does it, 
it's a little different and it's a different feel. Like we were having this discussion the other day, even like books, this is like the classic thing. Like right. ebooks are great. They're very convenient, but there is still something a little nice about that physical book. Right. You know, you can put it on your shelf. You can do those things. And I think the catalog is kind of similar. And again, it's, it's that direct mail used to be the most crowded form of advertising. And now I think it's, much less crowded than email marketing, for example. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think the key to have a, a successful direct mail campaign is to have a very targeted audience as everything, but even more so because the costs of uh, direct mail That's the big are, so, are so Se- much higher. Sending I mean, an email is practically free. You pay a little bit of money to right, a, right. A, a sender, a, you know, a MailChimp or whoever you use. But the marginal cost is like a penny an email right. versus a direct mail is much more expensive. Printing a catalog, not to mention the shelf life is very limited. You have a catalog with a special offer that lasts for 30 days and then you need to redo the catalog with overpricing and print it again and send it again. So the cost per unit is obviously higher from all marketing parts, but uh, marketing uh, options. But um, I, I still think it works in certain in certain cases. I, um, I, I think um, they may be still kind of... Uh, trying to find a way to to continue those. But I think the, the key to that for, for a marketing company is to definitely define, clean up their lists continuously. I get catalogs that are repeated with, I mean, I get sometimes two or three catalogs to me with my name spelled in three different ways. And I think that's just a waste of money and time and yeah, postage course, and everything. Of course. So um, when you do that with an email, you have three email addresses. Okay, well, it's not gonna cost you much more to send one or two or three, but sending three catalogs to the same person saturation is cost uh, excessive cost and it's a waste of money really so I think the best ones I've seen are a mixture of catalog and mini magazine basically they mm-hmm. have their own little content within it and then interspersed is a catalog of their different products mm-hmm. like Someone, a company that I think does it pretty well is East Bay. I get theirs because I've bought shoes on their site before. Um, And East Bay is owned by Foot Locker, but they're just a, you know, a higher end shoe site. Mm -hmm. And uh, they send a catalog once a month. And it's nice. I flip through it. It's just lots of different shoes and clothing or whatever. Um, I don't always necessarily like say, oh, I'm going to buy this that I see in the catalog, but they're always on top of mind. And I see like a shoe and they're like, oh, I didn't, that's a nice shoe. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll check that out. Stuff like that. So, um, there's lots of companies that do it well, but I think the mixture of a little bit, a few like kind of magazine style pieces within it Mm -hmm. interspersed with your catalog of products is something that can do really well. Now that's, this is more for companies that are, um, more mature and larger and have larger marketing budgets. If you're already spending, you know, millions on your digital marketing, then doing direct mail is better. If you're on a smaller budget, I would not go direct mail. Right. So continue with the print. So um, is it overrun, overrated, underrated? Uh, I think, think it's neutral. I, I think, think so too. I think I think like like we said. I mean, if he was like a few years ago, I'll say now it's overrated. Right now, I'm kind of waiting to see. Uh, I'll say a neutral. Uh, it could be used in certain certain. Uh, yeah. ways uh, but I still think if I had a limited budget yes I would probably not use it very budget dependent right. I think the old school physical type <clears throat> media like we're going to talk about billboards in a second those are all things that uh, if you have a larger budget and especially you feel like you're reaching saturation digitally mm-hmm. then it's a good time to go physical it, it falls more to me on the branding versus selling it'll be right. more on the brand side than the selling side you, you want to be in people's faces and have your brand in front of them 
but as far as a direct call to action, it's not the best medium for me. But yeah. uh, which leads me to print, uh, traditional print advertising, pulling an ad in a magazine. Uh, I don't care if it's a travel magazine, furniture magazine, hobby magazine, car magazine, whatever. Um, that to me is on the overrated side. As far as the cost, the cost is so expensive i mean prohibitive i mean usually all the when you look at magazine advertising especially you know important magazines that have a certain decent circulation and that's another topic the circulation of magazines is really something that people and marketers need to look very thoroughly because when they give you the numbers they say okay we have a hundred thousand circulation or something that's the number the, the issues that they distribute to either subscribers or free or people that buy at the kiosks or whatever or bookstores or anything but then when they give you the numbers of viewership they estimate that each magazine is read like 3.5 times because they pass it on or they leave it behind or whatever so they estimate that each each page is read or seen at least like 3.5 4.5 it depends on the magazine but they estimate that more than one person obviously reads the magazine yeah. so they give you those numbers and they say okay well you have 500,000 impressions I was like, okay, yeah, 500,000 impressions with people that are just paging through, not interested in a doctor's office, whatever. So, you know, it's not really something you can track as well as you do with all the digital media. And uh, and when you add the cost, basically you're paying for the whole magazine printing cost with the advertising expense. And obviously some magazines now offer you the print ad and then the, in addition they, they offer you the the uh, extension of a banner ad or something on their digital part, on their on their website and everything else, you know, like a, two, like a package deal. But I actually think that from all the advertising channels right now, print is definitely overrated. Um, and the other thing is that the other thing that makes me steer away from print is the lack of trackability, if that's a word, like being able to track what happens with that ad. I mean, I you you, you pay ten thousand dollars for a full page ad in a travel magazine or something, and it's like, okay, I don't know exactly what happened with that ad. I don't know how many people actually saw it, how many people did anything, went to the website from it. Uh, you can put a, a particular URL which people may or may not use, a phone number, but it's really really the ROI is so hard to track that it's basically just throwing money and hoping that it works, but you don't even know if it works. So that's something that is, is hard for a marketer to, to put your money on, you know? So this is going to be our first disagreement of the day. I'm going to go, and this is, I've only changed in the last probably six months on this. So you're going to say in the last six minutes. <laughs> that it is not underrated but it's slightly underrated and here's underrated yes and wow. here's why now for the past 10 years it has definitely been overrated <clears throat> if you asked me a year ago i would have said 100 percent overrated but but i'm gonna go slightly underrated here's why one i think the right way to do it is not to just buy an ad in a magazine and be done okay that is definitely not a good idea but doing a blend of digital marketing with that print ad, I think can be very effective because if you do something like, okay, the reason why I think it's underrated is because you said the cost, the cost of print ads has gone down so much because of the, as everybody knows, print media has gone down so much that I heard ridiculously low prices. Like I heard, and I don't know this for sure, I can maybe try to get the official rate card, but like Wired Magazine, which is used to be one of the most premier uh, 
tech magazines mm-hmm. out there. Okay, everybody in the valley read it. Everybody in tech basically read this magazine, and these are people with spending dollars. Okay, high salaries, everything. That the Wired UK, a full page ad was less than ten thousand dollars. That's really, really cheap for the. Because what you get when you are in a premier magazine like a wire, let me finish. I'll let I'll let you respond. I let you go. I want to give my case. Let me finish my case. Really like Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Put your hand down. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wall Street. Okay, that's my Bernie Sanders impression. Okay, good. Um, I have not practiced it much. Um, you lost my train of thought. Okay, so being in a premier magazine um, does have a brand value next to it because when you're on one page, if, if you're, let's say you're an aspiring uh, clothing brand, okay? And you're a new name. And on one page is a Gucci ad, okay? Because Gucci actually does lots of print. So say one page is a Gucci, and then right next to it is your MGR clothing, okay? Just you being in the, neck, in the same pages as Gucci upgrades your brand value. It's very similar to like why it's so valuable to an up and coming brand to get into a store like Neiman Marcus because then you're on the same shelves as all these other premium brands and it elevates you. It puts you in the same light, the same talking space as those brands. And that's what print can do that digital cannot do. And second of all, because the prices have gone down so much and because now you can target, for example, if you buy that ad for $10,000 in Wired Magazine, you can target people who are fans and readers of Wired Magazine on Facebook and Instagram, wherever, and send them ads in addition that complement the print ad that you did. And that blending of digital and physical with the branding uh, abilities that print has over digital, I think makes it slightly underrated. I'm not saying everybody should go out and buy a bunch of print ads, but if you do it right and you do the right placements with the right magazines, I would only do premier magazines. I would not do low budget magazines because the only thing that print has <clears throat> is that it gives you more branding. Okay, but let me, let me ask you something now. Since you um, are defending this now, um, you are subscribed to Wired Magazine, by the way. Right? Yes, I okay. am. It's one of the few I subscribe to. Okay. So we get Wired Magazine at the office, and there's a couple of issues there for the last couple of months, right? Have you seen those issues? Well, okay. it depends. No, yes, no, 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 no. Hold on. Yes or no? Yes or no? Have you even opened those magazines? Because I'm I don't think qu- I opened this Okay, once. cool, cool. Because I was going to say, you just quoted me before when we were getting those magazines in the mail saying, oh, I don't even read this thing because I look at the online version all the time. No, that's not true. That's well, not true. Well, that's what you said. No, I like the physical. and, and Which you haven't seen yet in no, two months. It's, no, it's true. It's, it's, tr- it's still string wrapped, by the way. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I got to think of a year for free or something for some... It doesn't matter. Off, it, hold it, on. Hold on. Let me explain. And then, you know, these magazines are so cheap these days. I think it was like 10 bucks for a year. And course. I said, okay, whatever. I'll pay yeah, 10 bucks for the year. Of course. And cheap. you get a digital subscription too. But no, I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I totally agree. So you have but, a $10,000 ad and nobody's even... Subscribers are not even seen. But uh, that's not everybody. Okay. And, well, and yes, I agree with what you're saying about the circulation. I think it's dumb they say, oh, the average magazine gets read three times. So if we have a subscriber list of a million, we actually get three million readers. I think that's bullshit. I agree. But I'm saying that the cost, my only thing is that the costs have gone down 
so much of course that it's actually because a good buy again it. it's like you know a stock that's dropped 90 percent. of course i know? understand but you you have an ad you're spending ten thousand dollars just to be next to gucci and improve your brand okay fine you can do that you know how much you can do with those ten thousand dollars on social media advertising but what i'm saying advertising is, with google hold on again these when we're going to the physical kind of older school marketing this is I wouldn't tell a, a client who has a $20,000 a month budget to go buy a $10,000 print ad. Absolutely not. But I'm talking about people who, companies and brands who are already spending a lot on digital and finding diminishing returns, which is happening more and more. When you're spending 100 grand a month on digital, uh, it gets hard to well, keep right. up those of high course, returns. Yeah, like I said, there's a point of diminishing returns, but I'd rather. Uh, so if you're spend spending a hundred grand a month, some video content, podcasting, all the things that are a little more, um, you know, uh, distributable, and I have more control versus a magazine that people are subscribed. And even subscribers don't even read them. And it's true. And even if I read, because I have actually read the Wire magazines, and I skip through the ads. And I just look at the articles. Even even other magazines that are very sports related that I like, like I subscribe to Red Bull magazine, which is called the Red Bulletin or something. It's a very Red Bull marketing magazine. But they do advertise other things like GoPro cameras and this and all the action sports type related products. And I don't even see those, you know? I mean, I'm just so limited for time that even for one magazine that I actually look at and I page through and all that stuff, I just skip through the ads all the time. Uh, we're subscribed to uh, a couple of news magazines too, like, uh, you know, like Business Week and uh, Bloomberg Business Week and some others. And they have these advertorials in the middle where it's like four or five pages about some business. I think it's like a Chinese advertising for the business bureau or whatever, you know, or any country. And, and you can tell that. You just basically skip through those. So I, I just think that print advertising is overrated because I don't care if it's $10,000. Yeah, it used to be fifty. now it's ten. Well, what's but that's the for price, a reason. What's the price that it, that it makes sense? Okay, let's go to the extreme. If I told you you can get a free full page in Wired, would you do it? Well, I would prefer... I would would you, hold on, answer that. Would you do it? Well, I would do it with a, a different condition. What I would say is instead of... No, let me tell you. I go to Wired Magazine and I said, I want my banner on your website. Yes. And no, then no, no. you can give me as a side note. I would, like the, I the said, print the way to do it is blended. I would not just buy a print ad and be done. I don't think that's an effective method these days. But if you blend it with digital marketing, a combination, because the price has gone down so much, like, okay, answer my question. If I said, hey, here's a free, you can get a free full page in Wired. You would say yes, free, right? Of course. Okay. Free, free is okay. Free. So that's the extreme. Right. If I told you, it totally depends on circulation. I don't know what Wired UK's circulation is, but let's just say you have a magazine with a million subscribers. Okay. That's a lot. Let's do a hundred thousand, hundred thousand subscribers. Okay. Paying subscribers free. You say yes. What's the price at which you say no? Well, I mean, I need to see if we compare it to like any other digital marketing, CPM type things. Right. I That's my a, point. I look at a, a CPM 10, and I say, okay, first of all, for real circulation, not the pe three people read the magazine because you have it on an airplane and leave it behind and the next passenger is going to read it. No, I don't give a I crap agree. all that stuff. But if they're telling me, okay, you're going to pay 5 $6 CPM for this ad and I see that no, it's not. No, but that's low. <clears throat> I mean, of course. The, the CPM... There's different CPMs, you know, like a Facebook CPM, I totally is very context dependent, but say 11, $12 is like very average. Um, 
that is to be on a Facebook feed, which has much less brand value. And people scroll. You talk about flipping through a magazine. You know how fast people scroll past ads on their phone? Uh, so that's 12. If I told you you could get in a magazine for a $20 CPM, would you do it? I have to. Yes, no, you would. No, seriously. I if it's to. hyper-targeted, like, okay, Wired is a good example. And you have a SaaS company. And I say, hey, for a $20 CPM, you can get a full if, page. If the package you comes, would do it. If the package, to me, the critical part is just, if you isolate just the print ad, I'll say no. If you tell me, okay, but the oh, print of ad course, comes, Like I said, you have well, to blend it. Yeah, a blended but, approach. Okay. But you pay a $20 CPM for that magazine page. Would you do it? Yes. I think yes. Yes. So what's comes... the price at which you would say no? And that's the whole point. Yeah, if you tell me it's a million, obviously, screw you. Well, obviously. But for 10 grand in Wired Magazine, and this is just one example. But to me, see, the thing is that to me, it has more value when the ad comes with the uh, digital component. That's why I think I'll reverse the table because normally they sell you the print they ad. They almost always come with digital components these days. Well, now, yeah, but they sell you the print ad and they say, oh, and you also get these uh, banners here and banners there or whatever. But I wouldn't... But yeah, I'd I rather sell... I'd rather have a magazine sell me the online advertising and then say, oh, by the way, we'll give you also a quarter page or a half page. Obviously, I'm very much simplifying it. Normally, when you do a print deal, you don't just buy a page. You do packages and stuff. But right. I'm just simplifying it for, for argument's sake. Um... I just, again, like I said, you asked me six months ago, I said, screw print. But now I just think because it's become so cheap that it actually has some value only in the premier magazines. I would not do it in some magazine that is not uh, premium, so to speak. But in a premium magazine with readers who, like I said, you have to look at who else is advertising that magazine. So if Gucci's advertising that magazine and you can get a page for 10 grand, maybe it's worth it. That's that's my point. If you have a bigger budget, again. All right. So, um, overrated or underrated? Slightly underrated. Okay. That's I'll our first disagreement. We got to disagree sometimes. No, that's fine. We can't we agree on a lot of things. I'll say, to me, it's overrated. All right. Obviously, there's always exceptions, but it's overrated. It's no, definitely, it's not my first or second no, or third again, priority again, as far as advertising. It's only when you have a bigger budget. Not if you're, if you have a... If you're a startup with a very limited budget, do not worry about print. I'm yeah, saying for bigger budgets. Anyways, let's, let's, let's move on. Um, another one that is kind of uh, overrated on my end is uh, billboard advertising. The billboard advertising that you drive on the freeway <clears throat> and you see accident lawyers. <laughs> one second. Before we talk about billboards, what about... <laughs> Billboards are one thing, and I, I wrote billboards on the list, but I meant not just billboards, but like physical, like if you're in a city and you see a, a wall painted with an ad or, or, even, or you're or in even a, mall, a bus stop or, or an airport and you see a big, like that. I don't mean just billboards. I mean outdoor media, I think, is a better better. That's fine. Term. You can see a, a bus stop thing or, or Yeah, like, like LAX. Or, you know, if, you go, if you've ever been to LAX, International Terminal, it is like, like, Media Central, all types of screens yeah, but everywhere. Yeah, that's a little more of a captive audience. I mean, you're talking when okay, you're that's, in the... Okay, that's uh, what I'm referring to. Okay, okay. Well, in that case that you're referring to, you are in a airport lounge, you are waiting for half an hour, you're seeing all these huge screen right. ads and all that stuff, and you have a captive audience because there's nothing else to watch. So at least you're watching the ads over and over and over. Right, I was there recently... And uh, we were we were on a trip, and uh, we were sitting in this lounge, and I saw the same ad because we were in LAX, and obviously LeBron plays for the Lakers, and I saw the same Ramoa uh, suitcase ad with LeBron, who just signed with them right. recently, like 
30 times it actually gets a little repetitive but it was like this big beautiful screen but i mean outdoor media in the sense of it doesn't just have to be billboards it can be a billboard it could be painted on a wall it could be in a train station bus station things like that okay well general outdoor media i i usually if i were doing branding yes that would be fine of course i would not do direct response any type any type of uh, direct sales or something or advertising products i'll say no I mean, specifically when it comes to the billboards that you see at the freeways and all that stuff, yeah, they're large and they're they're actually better now. Like like I like the ones that I like that I see many times driving through uh, Phoenix area freeways is when they're advertising or promoting some unique uh, TV programming or show or something that they they have these electronic things that they can obviously uh, update via computer. It's not the old style billboard where you put up wallpaper there for like a month or something but this is electronic and, and they change them and they say tonight only discovery channel blah 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 and it's like oh shoot that's tonight like shark week or something starts tonight and they say that reminds me you know it's like a little reminder or something that i usually watch and those i think are more effective than telling me uh, i don't know like i uh, use these lawyers or this other thing I well mean, the accident lawyers are good <clears throat> because there's a reason you get on a crash in the freeway right there right and there's a big ass billboard that says call this number i and understand get money. and obviously there's a lot of those and i'm sure they're very effective because that's what there's a reason money. why they do it you right know? right but if, if if they're selling me like uh um this mortgage company or this other whatever it is you know like i'll give you an example of a company that's done it well so we live in phoenix and uh tufton needs which is like a yeah. mattress company they're based in phoenix um and so they have billboards all over the place in phoenix um i see them all the time and i actually listened to an interview with the with the ceo of tough to needle and you know they were the typical d2c company that started only online d2c meaning direct to consumer and uh they started only online e-commerce basically and as they grew they started expanding their marketing and he said that he was totally against billboards and he says why would i do a billboard but then they started doing uh like i said all of this is 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 going to be blended with digital marketing so do not just do physical by itself but he said that basically these days with digital marketing as you know you can be hyper targeted to uh people in certain geographic areas and so they started doing an advanced digital marketing approach targeting specific people in geographic areas where they had their billboards and where they knew people were seeing their billboards and doing a blended approach and they said that the roi on that was significant so much so okay let me ask you how do they measure that because they are looking at the difference in a city where they don't have billboards versus where they do and okay. so they in a, in a city where they didn't have billboards and now they launched billboards with this blended approach of digital marketing and all of a sudden the sales grew 50 percent okay. that's the that's how you see it you know yeah, you can I, never I get 100 percent. i can see that it's, it's like everything i mean we always promote uh, or or tell our clients to use a multi-channel approach because yeah. you don't know which which side of the channel or which channel in a, in a big marketing wheel that I usually draw for our clients with a lot of spokes. Each of the spokes of the wheel is one of the marketing channels. So the more spokes you have, the more solid branding you have. So obviously billboard advertising or outdoor advertising like you said is one more spoke that you have which is adding to your branding to the strength of your core with your brand right and it's another thing that adds a lot of brand value the brand value of a facebook ad is much lower than the brand value of having your uh 
ad on the wall in mm. a in New York City subway station, right? Like that's much more valuable than a Facebook ad as far as the brand value. Mm. Um, but like I said, this is very budget dependent. Tuft right. and Needle only did this once they were a multi million dollar company. They were not doing right. this from the start. Obviously, right. So so it's something that is more again on the um, I would I wouldn't I would say neutral. I would say neutral. <clears throat> I don't think it's underrated because it is pricey and it's not great for direct sales. It's only for branding. Right. But if you're a bigger company and you have the budget, I think it's something to seriously consider. And keep in mind that there's when you consider outdoor advertising, I mean, obviously, there's billboards on the freeway that you are maybe seeing for a few seconds as you drive. And then if you have passengers in your car, everybody's looking at their phones or right. whatever. So they don't even see the billboards. And then you see them maybe lightly while you're driving a little bit of corner of your eye or something. So, But there's other advertising that is more static. Like you can be at a stadium and then see banners and billboards and everything in yeah. the background. That would be um, more sponsorship. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's a little bit of a banner media. sponsorship advertising, like so airport yeah. traffic and all that stuff, uh, bus stops and things like that, train stations. So yeah, but uh, on the branding side, and as a complementary channel, I think it might be working as a direct sales and everything else. Obviously, it's not a it's not a favorite option, and and it's only I mean I would only use it like where, like I said like when you have residual advertising budget that you want to spend on additional channels, but it's not going to be the, my prior primary channel for sure. Which leads me now to paid social media. I was going to say, the let's big move monster. on to things that people with smaller budgets can use. Because so far, we've done a lot of bigger budget stuff. Let's go to the, what can the small guy use? Right. So we have paid social media. And by social media, we have a bunch of different channels that everybody knows. We have Facebook, Instagram, obviously Instagram owned by Facebook, different um, audiences and everything else. Um, it's more similar now, I think. It's getting closer. And um, and. That's probably a reason why a lot of people are also starting to not like Instagram so much. I've started to see that trend that like people are kind of like saying, okay, well, Instagram is just too marketed now. And I'm happy. Instagram, Yeah, I use it for marketing, but personally, it's always been my least favorite. I never really enjoy it. My Instagram. least favorite is Facebook. But uh, Well, okay. I, yeah, that's true. But I never, I, I like Facebook less, but I, I never really liked Instagram that much. And I just was always very... Uh, inauthentic to me right and that's why i like like a twitter or other platforms that are much more authentic yeah, the only instagram thing i like is, on instagram is stories because <clears throat> that's a little more authentic yeah, i don't like, like everybody's highlight real um or highlight fake real um but anyways without that other discussion yeah. uh facebook instagram youtube pinterest we used to snapchat uh, TikTok, snapchat tiktok is probably yes new. I, I added tiktok to the list <clears throat> at the very end uh, we'll talk about it briefly, but let's go through it. Okay, first. All right, so Facebook. Facebook slash Instagram. We'll throw them into one bucket. Right. You want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. So you, you, you're the, the expert uh, marketer for Facebook, so. I'm going to go appropriately rated. Um, but, but the one thing is when we go underrated, overrated, we also consider the cost of advertising. When I say which, underrated, overrated, I mean basically what's <clears> a <throat> – it's it's in a marketing sense. It's more like what ROI can you expect? Really, is what I'm saying. Underrated, overrated. And when I say underrated, it means hey, I think you can get a good ROI because not a lot of people are paying attention to this. Versus overrated is oh, this is saturated. It's hard to get a good ROI. The reason I say Facebook is neutral, where for the past decade I would have said underrated, but now Facebook, Instagram is neutral, is just because 
you know, everybody's marketing on Facebook and Instagram now. Uh, all the big companies are there too now. And um, I mean, we see it. It's just, especially with a larger budget, when you start scaling, right? If you're spending, you know, 30 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, yeah, you can still get a good return. That's fine. But as you try to scale to hundreds and thousands of dollars a day, it's just much, much harder than it used to be to get a solid return. Um, and that's why I think that Facebook, I don't think it's underrated. I don't think it's overrated. I think it's appropriately rated. I think that it's a solid marketing channel. Of course, we obviously uh, manage a lot of companies marketing budgets on Facebook. It's if you're if you do it right, you have the right strategy, you can do very well. But I don't think that it is underrated anymore. I don't think that there's any secret about Facebook marketing well, anymore. I know, but from all the different forms of advertising, obviously within the digital marketing, um, world um what i do like about facebook instagram is the fact that you can target the audience so granularly like you can actually target the groups and the people and the demographics that you want much better than you do with pretty much any of the previous uh that it really options depends. that we've that we've mentioned the last it, hour so it really depends on what you're selling um so for us right when we're doing it as our agency we do much more hyper-targeting, as I like to call it, than I would do for uh, someone who's selling a mass market product. Because for us, you know, as an agency, there's a very small subset of people on Facebook that are gonna be a client of ours, you know? But if you're selling something that's like, uh, you know, whatever, a uh, computer, uh, there's a huge market for people in computers. Right. The thing that Facebook has over most other platforms is even though it's much harder to scale, it is still the best platform for scaling. To go from a $1,000 a month budget to a $50,000 a month budget is very possible with Facebook, whereas other platforms, it's very hard. That's the biggest advantage. But that don't it you has. think that also the ability to retarget people, like you said, a, a broad yeah, but subject, you can like, like computers, for example. Um, obviously, everybody can use a laptop computer or anything. It doesn't matter what demographic, what income level, whatever. Everybody uses iPhones, computers, right. or mobile devices. But if you are shopping around, and obviously Facebook has its own tracking pixels and everything else, don't you think that Facebook and all these digital marketing options? Uh, including Google that we'll get into, um, offer you the ability to retarget people based yes, on what they're Yes, but Facebook isn't unique for. in that. Every platform offers retargeting No, now. I mean, we're talking digital platforms now. So that, to me, that's why... But I'm saying, like, you can retarget with Google, Pinterest, Amazon, uh, Snapchat. You can retarget with all of them. So that's not unique to Facebook. Well, but the unique thing with Facebook is that you can retarget... Um, regardless of browsers and things, you'd retarget people based on their profile. And um, with Google, you are more dependent on the browsers, on the uh, computer used and everything else. So with Facebook, you're going to the profile. So the way uh, Facebook retargets people more than devices. So that's a, a critical difference that to me makes makes the Facebook and Google Instagram does much that more. too now though. Because almost everybody has some type of Google account. Yeah. So uh, I know what you're saying, but I think all platforms have gotten a lot, lot better at the retargeting now that it's not such a unique thing to Facebook anymore. The biggest thing, like I said to me on Facebook, is that while it's harder to scale than it used to be, it's still the easiest to scale compared to 
like Google. I think scaling Google is much harder than Facebook. Um, just because on Google, you're much more limited. Obviously, if you're doing search, you're limited to how many people are searching. Um, and then even Google Display, um, when you start to scale, it can get a lot more expensive uh, because you basically run out of places to put your ads. Whereas Facebook, because obviously they have so many users, because Facebook, Instagram, I'm, I'm saying in a, in a bundle, but as Facebook, Instagram has so many users of so many demographics and interests and everything that it is the easiest to scale out of all the platforms. That's the biggest advantage that Facebook has. So let me has. ask you, let me ask you this, which is a very uh, very practical question. A client comes a client comes to you and says, "Hey, I want to advertise my company. I sell X Y Z widget, whatever, and I only have two thousand dollars a month." Oh, uh, just Facebook. Okay. Yeah, at a smaller budget, you can still get good returns. It's just that, um, you know, yeah, two thousand a month is when you're just starting out. But as a company grows and you want to spend a thousand bucks a day, then it, it gets harder. You know, it, it does get harder. But um, I'm just saying that it's appropriately rated now, not overrated, underrated. Because before it used to be that if you were spending thirty grand a month or more you could get a five to one return. That's just not very realistic these days. It's so hard to get that kind of return these days when you're spending bigger budgets. But you can still get a good return. And like I said, you can scale. Do you think that Facebook is still undervalued as far as the cost of advertising? I mean, it used to be very undervalued. Yeah, it like used to be a lot. Um, I, no, think, I think it's appropriate. How much do you think it's increased in the last um, couple of years, it's probably doubled. I mean, it used to. Oh, be, yeah, I remember when Facebook used to be five, six dollars CPM, and now it's like twelve. Yeah, but it really de the thing that's gone up the most is um, certain segment audiences. So if you're going after the bigger purchasers on Facebook, let's say the top ten percent of purchasers on Facebook, um, we I don't want to get too nitty gritty, but like when you select your 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 campaign type. Most people got their conversion campaigns and that's the best way to do it because Facebook's going to optimize for people that convert more. But there's a, that's a pretty small subset cons, uh, compared to the large Facebook audience. And that group of people that are the conversion audience, let's say it's 10, the top 10% of converters on Facebook is getting very expensive because everybody's right. running yeah, it's like everything campaigns. Else. Now, wants. if you just want a traffic campaign, which I don't recommend running if you're like a D to C company, I would not do traffic campaigns, mm -hmm. but that's still pretty cheap. You can get lots of people for not that much money. All right, so let's jump to um, the Google world. Uh, well, you want to talk about the other social platforms first? Well, I mean, I consider Google almost uh, social. Well, you want to talk about YouTube? Yeah, I want to discuss YouTube. Obviously, it's a, it's a Google company, but because uh, what about like? Well, let's let's do real quick. Let's run through the Pinterest and Snapchats and all them. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Pinterest um, is fairly new in the paid advertising arena. Uh, they're still I, trying to get their system worked out. Um, I would say slightly underrated. Um, an undervalued too. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, the, the CPMs are lower. No. That's why I think it's underrated. Um, it really depends on who your audience is. If you have a, a woman ages. 20 to That's right. 45 is right. your audience, Pinterest 100%. Yeah. And the type, of, the type of thing that you advertise, whether it's something like hobbies thing or, or um, yeah. arts and crafts. and uh, Yeah, but, but definitely Pinterest tells you their average profile is 62 thirds women. I think it's more. Or maybe even Maybe more. it's a little less now, but if you're <clears> targeting <throat> women 20 to 50, 
Pinterest is great. If you're not, mm-hmm. if you're talking like men in their 50s, I would not use Pinterest. So right. it's, it's very dependent. But for that, which is obviously a lot of companies target women in that group. Um, I've seen a lot of success with our clients right. on that end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the CPMs are just really cheap. I mean, you know, you can easily get a 4 or $5 CPM, which you cannot find on Facebook. Now, reversing, you said women 30 to 50 for uh, for um, Pinterest. How about Snapchat? It's probably the opposite as far as the age group. Yeah, s- Snapchat isn't gender specific, but age group, I would say under... Under 30 for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess under 30. I, I think a lot of people want to turn to... Like after college. Yeah, I don't use I don't use Snapchat as much anymore. But if you're targeting teenagers, Snapchat a hundred percent. And then same with TikTok, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, Snapchat, they, their their ad platform is so much better now. I remember I I was running ads, testing it out. I don't know in 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, it was crappy, and now it is so so much better. Um, if you have an under thirty audience you can get a really, really good return. I'm talking like, I don't want to promise anything, but like 10x plus ROI, just because it's so undervalued right now. Um, And the branding through Snapchat, I think is really valuable. Whereas the branding on Facebook, I think has diminished in value. How good is the targeting uh, through through Snapchat as far as geographic, demographic? Very good these days. Very good. Geographic is... 100% 100% because they use Snap right, Maps and all, that. and all that stuff. But, but um, as far as being able to target people like we do with uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm not so familiar their, with Their it, interest with targeting has, is a lot better now. Their retargeting is a lot better now. Basically, they've you know they've very much copied Instagram and Facebook on their, oh, their back end. As opposed to I know. being copied by them. Good for them. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot better now. If, you have a, if you're targeting that audience, I would say it's underrated. But obviously, if you're targeting people in their 40s, 50s don't use snapchat right right and then tiktok i would say even younger i'd say under 25 is good um i would say it's here's my problem with tiktok i'm not a fan because of the uh chinese communist party aspect of it and there's actually been rumors um that there could be some serious u.s legislation involvement Mm -hmm. yeah um so i'm not clear on exactly what's going to happen there but if i'm looking purely just at it as it at is a excuse me at it as a marketing platform it is underrated if you are trying to target under 25s because the cpms are pretty cheap and the if you do the right ads it can be pretty seamless and hard to tell that it's an ad versus just another uh tiktok basically in your feed um but yes if you're targeting very young people 13 to 25 it's great let me ask you as an advertiser, um, what is the buying power of a person that is 13 to 25 or 14 to 25? Pretty good. I mean, seriously. I mean, no, it's Obviously, under good. 18, people live with their parents and all that stuff, or so yeah. they rely on their on their parents' money. Yeah, the, one of the but, biggest buying markets, actually, <clears throat> um, even though they don't make a ton of money because they're young, is like 16 to 21, because most of them still have their bills paid by their parents. So even though they're not making that much money, maybe they work a job where they make you know, minimum wage or something, they basically save all of that. They don't have expenses really in most uh, younger people. It, it, obviously, th- that's very uh, generic. It depends. But the let's just say the kids who are the children of the top 20% income households in the U.S. have a lot of discretionary income. 
And that's why TikTok and Snapchat are very valuable because you can target those people who basically, if they're making a few hundred bucks a week, but they don't have bills, they want to spend that. And they don't have, most young people don't have a great concept of savings yet. So they just spend their whole paychecks. You know, they don't really save their money. So that's a group of people that have a but lot of money to spend. When you, when, but when you advertise on these platforms, like with, with Facebook and Instagram and all these other normal platforms, you have a call to action, buy now button or something that they go actually to a website, e-commerce, whatever. They put the credit card, they buy something on the spot. Yeah. This audience you are targeting is specifically the 13 to 18 years old, hardly ever going to have a credit card. They're going to be able to oh, buy no, something. Oh, no, they definitely do. Well, they have to have a, they have a, a debit card that is attached yeah, to their parents' account or something, but it's just a little more difficult for them to actually make a buying decision. Not unless anymore. they go to their mother or father and say, hey, I, I want to buy this. Not anymore. Really? No. I mean, teenagers, every teenager has a card now. And they have their own buying power and credit card and everything. Oh, yeah. Especially if they already have a job. Of course, they have to have a bank account to have a job. And, and also, if you're targeting like 10-year-olds, yeah, okay, they're going to have to get their parents. So what's the age? 16 do you know the age, the minimum age to uh, to have a Snapchat account? Do you have to be 18? No, you definitely, um, well, what the minimum age is and what the actual well, truth is, I, mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, I Basically, remember with, every with Facebook kid, and Instagram, everybody was faking their age to, to open an account before. I don't think so. I don't think you have, I think maybe it's 13, but any kid 12 to 20 has Snapchat and TikTok. No, no, I know they do, but I don't know if that comes to place when you're actually ordering something online or something. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of wondering. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. If it's the right uh, platform for, I mean, I know branding and, and, and like I said, it, everything it's else. It's very dependent on your business. If you're targeting people in that age group, mm -hmm. Snapchat and TikTok all day. If you're not, if you're targeting people in their 40s, those platforms are not for you. Okay. All right. So let's go to um, YouTube and also Google by extension as far as the traditional search display advertising. But let's start with YouTube because it's obviously video. And uh, I know there's a whole generation of uh, YouTubers and YouTube fans and YouTube consumers out there. And obviously you have YouTube TV, which is a whole different um, streaming option. Uh, but how about advertising um, on YouTube by itself? Uh, underrated. Underrated. Yeah. Yeah. I think YouTube, um, and the CPMs aren't that cheap on YouTube. Um, they're more expensive than Facebook, but, uh, the branding and direct selling efforts that are possible on YouTube just are not possible on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's really, really powerful. Let me ask you. First, let's define how advertising works on YouTube because there's a lot of ads that are on options. Would, I'm considering mostly just uh, the pre-roll, mid-roll type ads. The okay. video ads you see before you watch a video or that intercut in the video. Those. I'm not. The search ads depends. The little side banners. Uh, they can be good. Very, I would say those are neutral, not overrated, underrated. Okay. But the video ads. So you're talking the video ads that you see when you yes. click on a video. The one you want where to you watch. get and it says you can skip this ad in five seconds. Okay. That type of ad, or the unskippable 15 second ads. And then the little ones that appear at the lower third that you can X uh, out. What about? I those? don't like those. I'm not a fan of those. I don't. What think are those called? Ah, uh, I forget the name of them. I stream ads or in yeah, I forget the exact name of them. Uh, I think they're phasing them out too. They don't use them as much anymore. Okay. Um. I don't like those at all. They're very annoying. I don't think people look at them at all. You can't have any imagery. It's just text and people just X out like that. Mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't do. I wouldn't touch those, honestly. Okay. So the pre-roll, obviously, full screen, you skip the ad or something, and then the mid-roll are also an ad that is also an ad that appears in the middle of the stream. Yeah. And YouTube inserts that. Uh, randomly, or how no. do you decide? Uh, it depends. The creator, the person who's ma making the video, um, what people are doing now that I've seen a lot is they'll do. It depends how long the video is. If mm -hmm. you like, if you notice on YouTube that why a lot of videos are like ten minutes and one second long, or ten minutes and a few seconds, it's because once your video passes that ten minute mark, uh, the creator is able to make charge a lot more CPM. Because um, YouTube's algorithm favors longer videos now, not shorter videos. Um, and so when you have a 10-minute video, a lot of creators will have a pre-roll and then maybe one, sometimes even two. I wouldn't do two if I was a creator, but some of them do it. Right. But they'll actually purposely, I've actually seen this, do like a little fade to black five minutes into their video <laughs> and put an ad right there. Right. Like a little commercial break mm -hmm. type thing. Um and so, yeah, you can do pre-roll, mid-roll. Those are the ones. I'm not a big fan of post-roll because post-roll, people are already yeah, done. Yeah, people don't get to but the end, right. pre-roll, mid-roll, I think is underrated because, especially because you can target two things. You can specifically put your ad on a certain creator's channel, um, and you, which basically means if you have a creator, like I said, like, whatever back to if you're selling if you're microsoft surface okay and you're selling a microsoft surface then you can go to a tech review channel and put ads on that channel okay that's something that you can't do on facebook when you say creator you're talking about the owner of a channel yeah the person who's making the videos or okay. company media whatever right. you know what i mean the channel itself mm -hmm. and you can put ads on that channel and then you can also do target people who have made specific searches so if you are if someone is searching for uh best work laptops in your microsoft surface you can target people with video ads about how the Microsoft Surface is a great work laptop to right. people who have searched that. That's what's really powerful. You can combine the branding and video aspect of Facebook with the powerful search engine of Google, and that's what YouTube is. And so even though the ads are more expensive CPM-wise, I think they're still very valuable. Well, I mean, one of the barriers of entry that I see for YouTube uh, ads in general is the the creation of the actual ad. Of course. That's so the that's most the, that's important the, part. That's the thing. That's why I think fewer people are considering YouTube. The moment you mention video to a lot of marketers, it's like, oh, shoot, it's expensive production. But it's this, not that. anymore. Right. I know, I know. You I, don't I know need it's not. to do a $30,000 shoot to make a good right, video. Right, exactly. And that's the misconception that I think people think of a video ad and they think, okay, it's like a television commercial and you just put it on video, on streaming video, and then put it on YouTube, but they think the, the, the cost is prohibited just to produce the actual ad, not so much buying the ad space from YouTube. But these days, creative is the most important thing. You know, and because we're a media buying agency, we buy lots of digital ads. And yeah, I, I can do lots of little tricks with targeting and audiences. There's lots of little tactics you can do. But the truth is, those tactics become commoditized and everybody learns those right, tactics. Right. But what is not commoditized and what will never be commoditized is the creative. Mm -hmm. And if you can come with good creative, that will separate you from everybody else. And even though people uh, are very afraid to spend, and but you don't have to spend that much. For $1,000, you can create four really good video ads mm -hmm. And those video ads for $1,000 could bring you tens of thousands of dollars in revenue. Right. 
and it's worth that investment. Um, and I think I, I understand. Obviously, you're always taking a risk when you invest in creative because you don't know. It's no different but than the, a movie. But the other thing you know, is a that movie, they could spend $100 million and it flops. Right, but the but, other thing is that you have a lot of uh, multiple uses for that video that you created. I mean, you're creating yeah. a video maybe for YouTube, but you can use it on Instagram. Yeah, you, you can, can use it on Facebook. It. You can use it on many other sources as a video advertorial or advertising piece versus just creating it for YouTube. So once you divide the cost, the production cost into all the different media, it really it really is cost effective in that sense. So I agree. I mean, I think YouTube is way, way grossly underrated right now and uh, is becoming more, a lot of more, YouTube, lot more, let's put it this way, a lot more people that were not so much used to YouTube are now starting to use YouTube much more. Maybe it's because of the YouTube channel per se. Or Let the, me put it very clearly. YouTube for anybody under 30, maybe even under 35, is their television. Okay, Netflix and YouTube is basically the young person's television. They do not watch TV. They don't watch, you know, old stuff. YouTube and Netflix. Obviously, but you not can't only, advertise not on only Netflix. as a television option or or alternative, uh, but also as a learning or how to channel everything, everything. Everything that you're trying to learn or discover or see how it's done. I mean, you can just go, I mean, obviously Google owns YouTube, but you can go to YouTube, how to fill in the blank. And there's multiple videos to show you anything, instructions, how to do this, how to do that. It's, it's incredible. I mean, the, the ability that YouTube has to show you how to do things is unmatched by any other channel. And that's a very captive audience because you're going to find an audience that is there, that is going to watch an entire video, and you can also target people based on their interest as far as what they're looking for. So I definitely think it's way underrated. And honestly, it has become almost one of my favorite channels. After obviously social media, I think video advertising on YouTube and then expanding those videos into other things are And then you can get into critical. actual YouTube sponsorships, which right. is working with the creators themselves. Now, the only thing with that is you're going to need a much larger budget typically because, right, right. um, you know, if a YouTube creator, they might say, okay, it's 50000 to put a spot on my video. With a YouTube ad, you know, you don't need that budget. So if you have the bigger budget, working directly with the creators is better. But you don't necessarily need to. If you have a smaller budget, it can still be very effective. All right. So let me jump over to um, Google, the uh, parent company of uh, YouTube. And uh, the traditional paid advertising is basically divided into two main options, search and display. Display is banner advertising, and then search is obviously uh, where you go into Google and just search with your keywords and everything else, and you have the search ads that appear. You say you have four at the front, at the top, and three at the bottom, and then organic comes in the middle. So um, I think that's always there to stay. Underrated, um, overrated, what do you think? I don't think it's over or under. I think it's just there to stay. I would say neutral. Yeah, I agree. Um, there are some niches where the advertising is very well priced. There are others where it's overpriced um, to the point that you pay like outrageous amount of money per click. And obviously that's because your industry is very competitive. So you're going to have to deal with that. And if that's your case, then you need to start shifting into a little more organic branding. So you come up organically higher without relying on paid advertising. And that's something that we do as well. And uh, we, we tell people we're getting into the content marketing a little bit that the more reputation and um, um, branding you'd establish for yourself, the less you need to rely on the paid advertising side. So even if you start getting a customer the first time via paid advertising, then you want your own brand to take over and then people just come to you directly. But um, I think Google is obviously there to stay. They're 
um, they've been adjusting and growing very steadily over the last uh, 15 years since it started, basically. And um, and I do like the display advertising channel. Obviously, they bought Double Click. Um, so the banner advertising or the display advertising also has their own Google Display Network. The only thing I don't like about it is that more and more people have ad blockers these days. Yeah, but um, they do, but they also have ways around it. I mean, like with um, native ads and advertorials and all that stuff, as you can see, as you've seen with many other, uh, even not just Google, but Yahoo advertising, they, they put... Uh, news story right in between two legit news stories and it says sponsor content or something and then it looks like another advertorial or basically like another story but it's just an ad so i mean there's ways around it a lot of people have ad blockers um i honestly as, as long as the ads are not so intrusive that are popping up and over the place and you keep x and x and x and they make the x so teeny that you click on the ad and opens another window things like that as long as they're just limited to side by banners and top banners and all that stuff. I'm okay with those, especially because the ads are actually targeted to me. And thus, and I, I can always go, you know, uh, private browsing or any other thing where I don't have any cookies or anything so they cannot target me based on other stuff. But for the most part, I don't mind the ads that I see that are for things that I've seen before. Because sometimes, in fact, I click on the ads. Like, we, like I said before, I mean, we get I get ads for companies that are competitors or complement to what we do and i'm no, curious to see what they do I so agree. i click I on click, them i click on lots of ads but i use an ad blocker because it's i don't mind banner ads like a static banner ad doesn't bother me what bothers me but the problem is you kind of when you use an ad blocker it blocks everything is that what bothers me is that so many sites these days especially like news type sites have autoplay videos, yeah, that, pop-ups. That's, that's why I use an ad blocker. Right. If they stopped doing that and they just had banner ads, I wouldn't need the ad blocker. I don't understand blocker. why, um, yeah, like, like, like news auto sites videos autoplay videos should with be volume. illegal. You should be thrown well, in jail. But, it's so Well, I mean, annoying. you can play an autoplay video and the video's moving, but don't have sound. I mean, it's like, it's especially, I mean, sometimes... You scroll down on the page and you're reading some other story. All of a sudden, you start hearing this sound. You don't even know where know. it comes from. And then you need to look up and down but the page. And it's like a little side video that is playing. This is what frustrates me because it hurts so annoying. The reason I'm not, I don't want to use an ad blocker. We're a marketing agency, you know? Right. But I had to do it <clears> for a lot of sites like uh, like like Forbes or, uh, you yeah, know, any of these like... Yahoo's and... Yeah, like... like they drive me nuts. They have five pop-ups and, oh, we have cookies and, oh, we have this. Subscribe to our email list and I'll have two pop-ups in a row and then an autoplay. Is, that's why I use an ad blocker now. I can't yeah. stand it anymore. I had to. Right. And I, tr I tried as long as I could. But I think, but they kill themselves because I don't actually mind. If they didn't have any of that, they just had some static banner ads. It wouldn't bother me. I'd say, okay, whatever. I get it. They make they make money. That's fine. But these types of ads, and please do not go buying pop-up ads and autoplay video ads because when I see companies that pay for those, it makes me hate those companies. You right, know, right. It, it's it a diminishes bad, it's your it's brand a bad value. image. But I, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I know they're not very effective, but they're still they're still having. And and, and then you get into the click. I think there's a falsifying of metrics, right? Because they autoplay the video, it takes you. 10 seconds to figure out where it is on the page and to pause it. And by then they count that as a view and they yeah. say, Oh, a million people viewed this when really only a thousand did, but not only that when, stopped when you had to X out of the video, they put the X like, that's another thing that I don't like. They make the X like it's so low contrast. They make a white X over a white background. Yeah. Especially on even, mobile. It's yeah, so hard. You can even see it. And then unless you have a razor sharp 
point finger to exit out, you actually click into the ad and they consider that a click through. And right. all, there's all those tricks are just to trick the audience and to trick the advertisers and, and trick to the bump, advertisers, right? To that's bump their is. prices and all that stuff. So that's totally uh, dece deceptive advertising. Right. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, so organic. That was the other part. SEO. Well, organic. I mean, I, I organic is always going to work. I, I think but, organic oh, is is oh. underrated. Yes. Thank you. I was gonna have a little rant. No, 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 no. I always think organic is underrated. People but a lot of people forgetting. don't. A lot of people have been totally saying, "Oh, forget SEO. It's not worth it." No, anymore. no. A lot of people will say, "Oh, that you pay to play or all of stuff." Yeah, you pay to play, but you can also play without paying. And that's well, probably the problem with organic. Everybody's looking for a shortcut these days. Right. Everybody's right. looking. It's like if you go to a gym and you say, "Okay, I want to be bulky in one week." Okay, well, that's stories does that for you, but it's not legal and it's not healthy. So. An ad, uh, uh, an ad on steroids basically is like paying. You want to rank higher right away? Yeah, you're buying your ranking, okay? So, but the moment you stop paying, you disappear from the Google sphere. So, organic is the way to go. Nobody likes to plant a tree and wait 10, 10 years to see it grow, okay? They want to plant a tree or a seed or something and then see a, a freaking 20-foot tree right away. That's not going to happen. That's why it's called organic. But when you work steadily in organic, promoting your content and having legit content and making your website reputation increase and um, discoverability and people coming to you and all that stuff, all that stuff counts to you. And then you're going to have a ranking that is not going to disappear no matter what. So it's definitely underrated and people think that um, it's not working anymore. It's still working. SEO has gone through a cycle where right. 10, 12, whatever years ago is underrated. And then everybody started focusing on SEO. You had a million SEO gurus, a million, everybody, everybody was doing all types of black hat SEO, everything. Google cracked down. A lot of those things stopped working. And then people said, oh, SEO is dead. They started adding more paid searches to the but top. But you know what happened? But everybody now it's underrated because a lot fewer people focus on SEO than used to. And it's such a goldmine. I mean, even ourselves, just from articles we I write, know. we do a lot of content. We get so many leads it, it, for free just from articles we write. It is, it is actually much, much more simple than what people think. I mean, everybody's trying to trick search engines. And yes, search engines could be tricked years ago when they were very new. They didn't know much about SEO tricks and black hats, like you mentioned. Everybody was tricking with all these keywords and things and putting this thing on the title and putting, putting these things. and Putting text and, in white right, with keywords right. so you couldn't Hidden see it. Okay, forget it. Google is smarter than all of us together. They have algorithms, artificial intelligence robots. They have all kinds of tricks of the trade now that's their business to find out which pages are actually legit content informative content that people are actually trying to read and which ones are just basically clickbait and fake and fake so if you just it's so simple that if you just write content that is for the audience don't write content for google okay don't try to make headlines and stuff your keywords everywhere in every third line or something just write Normal content yeah, because that reads properly for the viewer, that is informative, that people scroll through the page and read it, that people share it, that people link to you and all that stuff, everything else will take care the, of itself. The problem when you write for Google is that even if it works, because I've done this myself when I've learned my lesson, even if it works and you actually are able to rank because you optimize the hell out of your listing, you act, the whole point of organic is so that you rank organically and people click and then buy from you or contact you or whatever your business is. 
And I realized that on the articles that I optimized to hell that were optimized for Google, but not optimized for the person reading it to get value out of them, that then, yeah, I would get a lot of clicks, but nobody was right. actually leaving their contact information. And it was like, okay, so this was worthless because yeah, it, it ranks number one and it looks awesome. Oh, I get a thousand clicks a month organically from this, but and, nobody was and the filling other thing, out the form. The other thing that I don't understand is why a lot of people get super creative with their paid ads. Like do a search ad and they have a, you know, a certain amount of characters for the headline and the sub headline and the link through and all that stuff. And they get all these creative content and nice titles and descriptions. But then for the normal pages that are not advertised, they just put a boring title and description. I mean, when Google is, quote unquote, awarding you a page, a, a page one, rank one organically, basically that you appear on the <clears throat> top of the fold as far as listings on the first page right after the paid ads, they're giving you that position because they expect people to click through on your page when people are searching for whatever your ad is coming for. I mean, your, your article is coming for. So you need to be creative to, to create titles and description that are captivating, you know, that will make your audience click on it. Instead of saying um, whatever overview, just say discover why you need to learn about this thing. And then the subheadline or the actual description saying top 10 things to dis uh, prevent uh, this from happening to you, whatever is the situation. And then people are going to click on it. Become a little creative with the title and description. So when you are given that position, people click on it and Google is going to say, yes, this person, uh, this page is clicked through when people search for this and you will be ranking higher. Otherwise, if you put like whatever overview and then you don't click, th click throughs and the other person does, then they're going to bump you to another lower position the number the number one thing that matters is having great content because right. yes of course <clears throat> there's always different tactics you can use you know you have different tactics that you can use that will help you out um but none of that matters if you don't have great content because all of these little tactics that you use are to get people on the page but if once they get on the page exactly they don't convert then it's worthless so right. you need that great content and so many people forget that you know they write a blog which a month with a bunch of articles that are just for seo with no value to them they're totally crappy and yeah they get a lot of people coming to that page because they rank but then nobody converts so that's worthless right. that's no, organic organic is always going to stay but organic and is underrated i think in it my is. opinion, it is. not enough people focus on it now. Like you said, they're looking for that quick fix. Right. They're not looking at the long term. But those who do, and, and actually now we've had actually websites that have done zero marketing, but good organic content for years, and now they start. I mean, there's a reason why Wikipedia comes on top all the time. You, every time you do a search, why? Because they have nothing but content. They don't care about having a beautiful website, flashy things, dissolve some tons of pictures. It's the ugliest website you can look from the design standpoint but they have great content and people refer to it, they click, they spend minutes reading it. So basically, David, it looks like we both agree that SEO is underrated and is here to stay. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's not something that you're going to get returns right away. But if you do it for a year or two and really put a lot of effort, you're going to get those long-term dividends down the road. Very good. All right. So there you go. There's other pieces of content that we are going to leave out. Like uh, we obviously are big on blogging and uh, content marketing and there's a uh, whole other side that is creating knowledge. your own media company, right? but right. we're more talking about 
kind of tactics. We'll talk about that more in the future. I, I wanted to discuss that. Now you said that about the media company because it's, it's the, the, the way that you create a lot of content about a particular product or brand and then you actually create the product later. So that's a yeah. whole DTC type of... I want to make this a three-hour podcast. So right, right. We said out. it was going to be short and it's already long. So anyways, um, I think this is a good summary. We'll um, have the podcast um, show notes and everything listed on uh, MGRH and MGR Consulting. Um, I'm sorry, mgrunplugged.com, which is the official website. MGR Consulting is our agency website. Um, so we'll have everything there. The video will be on YouTube as well in the next uh, couple of days. So um, thank you for listening or watching. And uh, until next time, this is Manuel and David from uh, MGR. Thank you. See you.